What is going on, everybody? Welcome into the latest episode of Quick Hits. My name is Blake Pace. It is Tuesday, January 12th, Super Wild Card Weekend in the books. We're going to go through each of the six games, uh, news and notes, takeaways, uh, and then take a look at what's coming ahead for this week. Um, you know, I think the first thing that we got to start off with is Super Wild Card Weekend was a slam dunk. I don't see how the NFL could go back to a six seed postseason out of both conferences. I mean, being able to, you know, the main takeaway for me as I look even up to this week, uh, as we go ahead and for the divisional rounds, like, oh, the first games are at 3.30 or 4.30 in the afternoon. You know, I, I want my early action. I want a full day of football. That's what I'm here for. That's what we get on the regular season. You know, we get from, you know, 1 p.m. until the end of the night. And it was great to have that on Wild Card Weekend. I thought I thought all six games were you know we'll get into each but you know I I don't think that there were I don't think that competition was lessened because of adding a seventh seed I don't think allowing an extra team in meant for uh, lower level you know teams making it in obviously you know the seventh seed you know my Indianapolis Colts they made it in and they had a really impressive showing against a great Bills team uh, on the flip side yes I know the Bears. Didn't look good at all, but I think if you take the swing of, uh, you know, Mims catching that touchdown, Mim, Mims, whatever his name is, Wims or something, if he didn't, you know, drop that touchdown, it's a much different game. It's a much closer game. So, you know, I don't think that, um, I don't think there's any reason to, to draw back from this. I think it's nice to uh, reward the best team in each conference by being the only team to get a bye. Um, and and uh, hats off. I loved it. So let's go through. Each game, uh, we'll start off on Saturday, that early slate there, there with uh, my Indianapolis Colts, our season coming to an end uh, by the uh, Buffalo Bills winning 27-24, to Buffalo's first playoff win since 1995. Uh, to talk about the Colts first, you know, I said earlier on the, uh, the uh, preview show last week, I expected them to keep it close. Um, and I got to say, I was, really, I was really impressed by Indianapolis. Uh, Especially in the second half, in the fourth quarter, their two touchdown drives. You know, the Colts, to me, were never a team that was great, fast-paced uh, offense. But they took it into another gear in the fourth quarter when they needed to. Had some scoring drives in the fourth quarter that took, let's just pull up the exact times. Uh, the first touchdown drive was a minute or two minutes and 38 seconds, which ended with uh, Rivers throwing a touchdown to Zach Paschal to bring the game within eight. And then their very next drive... Took uh, even less, uh, a minute and 55 seconds, ended with a 27-yard touchdown to Jack Doyle, made it a three-point game. Um, you know, there's there's a couple calls that, that you know, you, you kind of just have to live with. And, and across all six games, you know, there were in some instances where there were a couple head coaches, and we'll get to them. They played very conservative games. Frank Reich, that's not his M.O., he had a few calls that just unfortunately didn't go his way. He chose to go for it on fourth and goal. Um, you know, Philip Rivers tried getting Michael Pittman in the back corner of the end zone, and the timing was just off. Of course, Buffalo then goes on the most excruciating 96-yard drive I've ever felt as a Colts fan between the two sideline grabs. They were both reviewed and upheld. I agree with both calls. They were both catches two feet down. Didn't see any reason to overturn them. Then you finally stop them. They're going to kick a field goal. Kamoko Ture, a guy who hasn't been on the field a whole lot, uh, he gets uh, and he jumps off sides. Uh, gets the five-yard penalty to keep the Bills' drive alive, and then they scored the touchdown right before the end of the half to take a 14-10 uh, lead 
Uh, that was the uh, Josh Allen touchdown run right there to to take that lead before the half. So there's the argument to be made that that you know Reich could have just settled for the field goal, and then you go into halftime down one. Obviously, you take a look at the scoreboard. You lose by three, and you take into account that they could have had three there, um, and they could have had three on on a, a missed uh, Rodrigo Blankenship field goal, which uh, you know he had been pretty good all year. He really had been. Um, he had had a he had a pretty good season. Um, towards the end, there were a, f- a few 50-yarders, 50 50-plus 50 yarders he wasn't connecting on. Uh, this one was in the 30s, and it just clunked right off the uh, upright. Look, that, that stuff happens. Um, it, it is tough to take a look and see that, you know, you left six points up on the board. Um, and, and, you know, it's a three-point game at the end of the day. Um, but, look, the Colts also caught a lot of good breaks. I thought early in the first half there, weren't a, there were a few penalties that should have been called on him that weren't. At the very end, I mean, that was a fumble um, by, I believe it was Pascal. I believe so. I'm trying to remember who the receiver was now. That was a fumble recovered by the Bills. They just called it to stand because they didn't want to end the Colts season like that. I get it. Um, they had as many chances as, as they could have asked for, and it was just a few plays that didn't go their way. You know, there was some play calling stuff on that last drive. I didn't agree with the play calling of, um, it seems, you know, right before the end uh, where the, the Colts were trying to get in a field goal range to send it into overtime. I thought the play calling was very predictable. You could tell by the way that they were positioning up. It was two plays in a row where they tried to throw to the left sideline to get it out of bounds. Bills defended it perfectly. It was really easy to defend it. I think everybody knew where they were trying to go with the football. Um, so they could set up Rodrigo on the left side, on the left hash. Um, so it was two plays in a row that felt the same. And the Bills were, you know, had it easily uh, planned out. And then... Look, Phil couldn't get that that uh, throw into the end zone on the Hail Mary, which, you know, Hail Marys are only something you can pray for. Uh, so, um, you know, it, it's a frustrating loss, but I, I kind of left this one feeling pretty good about the Colts. You know, I'm one of those guys that in the offseason, people aren't going to talk about the moves they make, and I'm going to hype them up. And I'm going to say at the beginning of next season, if they do all the right moves again, like they have drafted well, and free agency has gone well. Like they, they just make good moves. It's going to be another team that, uh, at the beginning of the season, I'm going to say is going to win the division. I'll predict ten plus wins most likely. Um, they do have a lot to figure out: left tackle, edge rusher, quarterback. Um, a lot of stuff to figure out. But this is a good football team. I mean, they're eleven and five. I, I, I was happy with the way this season went. Um, felt bad for Phil. He broke my heart in that press conference. You know, to only be there for one year and. Uh, it really seemed like they had a really special team there. So, um, to flip to the other side, you got to take a look at the Buffalo Bills now, and I do think there is a little area of concern with them. Um, their defense had been a problem all year to me. You know, there are a few games where they held some limited offenses to to a few amount of points. You know, they just ended the regular season by forcing a ton of turnovers to a Miami Dolphins team that was really grasping for for uh, you know straws at the end, trying to make their way into the postseason. I never thought the Bills' defense was that great. As I mentioned, you know, they had been shuffling guys in the front seven throughout the entire year. Their secondary is very talented, pretty deep. Um, but I wasn't impressed. I, I wasn't really standing there saying, okay, this is a team that I think could, you know, hold the Chiefs to under 35 points. Or, you know, the Ravens, you know, wouldn't be able to put up points on them as well, too. Um, I think both of those teams would be able to keep pace with Buffalo's offense. 
You know, that's a really good question. I'm going to pull this up right now. I want to take a look at who the Bills face this season and just see how many top-notch offenses they face throughout the year because I think that's a it's a telling sign. They've got it. They've had a good season, a great season. They put up a lot of points on offense, but I just don't know if they faced a ton of high-octane offenses that kept pace with them. So you take a look, uh, you know, the I guess they did face a decent amount, but they also allowed a lot of points to them as well, too. So, yeah, this is the thing. You can't feel confident about this defense throughout the entire season. Week 2, you give up 28 to Miami. Week 3, 32 to the Rams. Uh, week 5, 42 to the Titans. Uh, Chiefs win 26-17. Nobody scored points in that game. Uh, a few weeks later, you know, the Bills jumped out to that massive lead over Seattle. Seattle still was able to finish the game with 34 points. The following week, Cardinals hail Murray, 32 points. Uh, 49ers put up 24. Um, if you're a good offense, you can put up points on this Bills defense, which is one reason that I don't believe they'll be making it to the Super Bowl out of the AFC. And the second being, uh, I really, the the timing on this Zach Moss injury is, is so unfortunate. You know, it, it was a terrible injury to see happen. You could tell it was a pretty rough one the way he got rolled up underneath. I, I believe it was Darius Leonard. I'm not sure. It was a couple of defenders over there. Um, Zach Moss will now be out for the remainder of the postseason. Uh, heartbreaking on two areas for me. I really like Zach Moss coming out of college. Um, the injury history was the main concern for him, and so it sucks to have a good rookie year where you slowly came onto the scene and uh, eventually emerged into the number one running back there. You know, I, I am far more impressed with Zach Moss than I am Devin Singletary, uh, and so to, to um, you know, have your season end like that after dealing with injuries in college, it sucks. I hate it. Um, I wish him all the best and a speedy recovery, but it does have a pretty drastic impact to me on the Bills' chances offensively. I, I've, I've said all along from the beginning of the season when they went on their run, I, balance is important in an offense. You know, you, you see a, a team we'll talk about in just a few seconds, Seattle Seahawks, and their struggle to find balance throughout the entire year. You know, you do need to be able to say, okay, we have to adjust right now. Okay, our, our pass game is getting, you know, you know, we're not having success through the air. We got to go to the ground game now for a few plays. Or, hey, we're going to catch them off guard with this, uh, you know, second and long run that they aren't planning on because we always usually pass on second and ten. Um, I, I just think that, you know, losing Zach Moss is a pretty significant um you know, uh, it's a pretty significant thing to deal with for Buffalo in just terms of, okay, this is the number two seed in the AFC. They should be contesting for a Super Bowl. Um, look, I, I I take a look after that game and I say I, I don't see it. I don't see this team making its way to the Super Bowl. Um, I do believe, you know, as and we will just, you know, we won't talk about it until, uh, you know, we won't get more in detail with it until later in the week, but I, I do see them moving on past Baltimore. I really was impressed, or no, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Um, I do believe they get past Baltimore. Um, I still think Kansas City is coming out of this this conference, and so um, just not, not in love with what I saw defensively from Buffalo. Josh Allen was great. You know, he had a few plays where you go, okay, he missed that. Okay, he had the bad fumble at the end. Uh, that was fortunately recovered by his offensive lineman. Um, there was a there was a few plays, but all in all, very very good uh, performance from for uh, Josh Allen. Um, I'm trying to think, is there anything else I want to say left about this game? Yeah, you know, it, it was a good. It was the best game of the weekend. Is that okay to say? 
I think it was. We got the first game out of the, the way, and it was a, a terrific one. Um, you know, definitely my favorite game to watch. So moving on now to uh, the second game of the Saturday slate, the Los Angeles Rams uh, beat the Seattle Seahawks on the road 30-20. to uh, The Seahawks' third home playoff loss in team history. Uh, two of those have come at the hands of the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, the Rams <laughs> tried going with John Walford, and then a questionable hit by Jamal Adams on him knocked him out of the game with a stinger, which was later reported, and in came uh, the injured, um, shaky Jared Goff, who completed 9 of 19 passes for 155 yards, one touchdown, no interception. And that score is misleading. 30-20 to 20 is very misleading. It was not that close. It wasn't at all. Uh, Los Angeles was the better team, and I said all. And I, I said leading up to it, I, I thought the Rams were going to win. Um, I just, I, I think they had been the more consistent team throughout the entire season. Where Seattle would always have one thing going right, but then three things that weren't going right. So it was always okay, but the passing offense is great, but the defense sucks, and the rush attack isn't there. And the defense got a little bit better, but not that much better because they were just playing bad opponents. And then it was okay, the passing offense is gone because. You just play two high safeties, and DK Metcalf is essentially taken out of the game. So, you know, when I took a look and I said, going forward into this matchup, I want the team that has consistently shown me through the year that, you know, their identity has been the same the entire time. If you're changing your identity as a football team throughout the season and you get to the postseason, who are you? You know, if you if you end the season and it's your defense is starting to get a little bit better, but your offense isn't flailing, then all of a sudden you need to put up 30-plus points. Well, that's not your team's identity. That's not how you've been winning games. Um, so, you know, the Rams, to me, at the very least, they've had a top defense the entire season. And at the very least, if the quarterback play isn't consistent, if, you know, whoever's available at running back isn't consistent, Sean McVay is. He is the consistency on that offense for them. He is a top three offensive play caller in the NFL. He is amazing at what he does. Um, you know, they were blessed by the return of Cam Akers. 28 carries, 131 yards, and a touchdown. Um, and that's really why I thought Los Angeles was going to take this away. I had just been, I, I just had a feeling that this team had consistently shown up more than Seattle has. And, uh, you know, uh, sometime within the next two weeks, we're going to have my friend uh, Jack Fitzpatrick on. He is a Seahawks fan. Um, and a and a uh, and uh, a smart guy when it comes to football, and we're gonna have a conversation about the Seahawks in depth because um, I could spend the next twenty or so minutes ranting about uh, the Seahawks. I had a, a thread over on Twitter that I put out about um, you know just to put it short. I don't I don't think uh, Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson are necessarily the perfect combination of head coach and quarterback. And not to say that they're not perfect, but they're still good. I To stretch it further, I don't think this team will be able to... Um, I don't think the two of them on the same team are going to get to another Super Bowl together. I just think, uh, philosophically, Russell Wilson isn't the quarterback that Pete Carroll wants. I think Pete Carroll... If he's shown us anything through his commitment to the run game or his commitment to not really opening up the playbook and his commitment to defense, he's a team that, you know, wants a roster like the Los Angeles Rams. And, you know, top defense in the NFL, uh, pretty good offensive line, good run game, and an 
eh quarterback. A quarterback that is serviceable. Jared Goff is a serviceable eh quarterback. That's what Pete Carroll really wants. Um, you know, I, I think he wants to be the guy that's in control. And, and Russ, he's got to look around the league and say, okay, Pat Mahomes, he gets these talented receivers, a smart, you know, uh, system, a, 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 a modern system, a good offensive coordinator, an offensive-minded head coach. You know, you look across the league and it's like, okay, why can't Russ have a top 10 you know, passing offense. And what I mean by that is is throwing, uh, throw percentage. Sorry, I'm getting a little distracted here. Run pass throw percentage. You know, how many times, what percentage of plays are runs, what percentage of plays are passes. Russ hasn't been inside the top 10 in terms of pass percentage plays in his entire career. And he's Russell freaking Wilson. He deserves to be one of the more heavily throwing quarterbacks in all of football. And I think that that's the way to win. Now, you do need a run game balance, and they haven't drafted well on A, the offensive line, or, or B, the running back room. Um, it's been very inconsistent. We hope Chris Carson's the guy, but it, it's puzzling to me now that we've thrown in so many different running backs to Seattle when literally you can get a day three guy. Half the teams in the league have done this now, where they find a guy in round four, five, six, seven, undrafted free agent, and they're great. You know, why can't the Seahawks, for some reason, be a team that just finds a great running back? Why can't they find a David Montgomery or a Marlon Mack or a James Robinson? Where is that guy? It's been too long that they haven't had a good running back. And, and that's saying, if you're going to be so committed to the run, why, why is it so hard? I, I feel like every year we get out of the draft and there are great running backs that come out of these later rounds. And it's it, it just blows my mind that for whatever reason, we haven't been able to find a talented one for Seattle yet. And meanwhile, they're spending first-round picks on Rashad Penny. Um, so, you know, not to go too much more into this rant, because like I said, I'm going to have a much more in-depth uh, conversation with Jack either later this week or sometime next week. But to take a look at this game, the Rams were just the more consistent team. Quarterback aside, look, neither of them looked great. Um, but this is a great roster. And this is one of the best coach teams in the NFL. You know, that's why their defensive coordinator is getting all these head coaching interviews and why Sean McVay is respected as one of the top coaches in the NFL despite being, what, 38 years old? You've got a great defense, a good offensive line, solid playmakers, great run game, Cam Akers is a stud, and great coaching. Um, you know, they've got a tough task coming up with the Green Bay Packers. I, I'm going to be interested to see how many points they can put up um, and keep pace with, with Rodgers and... Uh, you know, Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams, Robert Tunney in that offense. Um, but it's going to be a good game. I, I I hope it's a close one. We'll figure out who's playing quarterback later in the week. Uh, but man, what an exciting matchup, at least on the outside, with Devontae Adams and Jalen Ramsey. I mean, you're talking the top wide receiver against the top cornerback. It's going to be a great showdown. I'm, one thing also to note before we go, we'll talk about the games obviously later in the week. I don't think we could have asked for a better divisional round set of matchups. I think three out of the four games are going to be so much fun to watch for various different reasons. So uh, to wrap a bow on this game, look, it wasn't pretty. Uh, the score is misleading. I think this would this more looks like a, a Rams 30-14 to 14 over the Seahawks, um, especially when you take into account, you know, the Seahawks, <clears throat> they did get, uh, you know, that late drive with two minutes left, but... Um, yeah, the score is a little misleading. I, I we're gonna have to have more talks about the uh, the Seahawks and the Rams. 
I don't know how far it can go. Like I said, I, I don't know if they can get out of Green Bay alive, but they've got a great roster, um, and we'll have to figure out you know what's going on at quarterback later in the week. All right, capping off the night, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defeated the Washington football team 31-23. Tom Brady, his 31st career playoff win, most by a quarterback since 1950. Um, you know, this game, I'll, I'll be honest, we were out partying Saturday night, so I was half watching it while I was on the TV um, and kind of just watching as much as possible. Um a little surprised by how close it was. Obviously, some late scoring there is a little misleading. You know, you get the uh, Washington touchdown. I guess there were still four minutes left, so that's not really a, a late, late score. Um, good game. Good game. Uh, the the thing that I said, I believe that I said on Friday's episode, is I really thought that the Tampa Bay tackles would hold their own against the Washington edge rushers. And, you know, that's Chase Young. That's Montez Sweat. Two of the brightest young edge rushers in the game. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have amazing tackle play. And it really did come down to them needing to get interior pressure. And to their credit, Deron Payne, uh, Jonathan Allen, they were able to do so, which kind of helped out, you know, made up for the fact that the edge rushers couldn't get going. But, uh, you know, not in... not. I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about Tampa. That's my main takeaway is I, I really was left here going, okay, is Tampa really legit? They had been heating up for a while, beating up on some bad teams, though. Then they go in, they play Washington. Nobody gave Washington a chance. They had, you know, uh, Taylor Haneke, you know, playing late in the game. And, and honestly, to his credit, you know, he did as good as, as I think any of us expected him to. So hats off to him. You know, the team really seemed to love, you know, having him and supporting him through that that venture, obviously with Alex Smith not being able to go. Um, but, you know, I, 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 I'm not amazed by what we saw from the Bucks. There were a lot of drops. Um, I will say Antonio Brown is starting to get going. That connection with Brady, of course, is seeing to pay off. Let's take a look at the stats. He had two for 49 and a touchdown. Talk about Mike Evans. How could you not? After he had a, a gruesome-looking injury in Week 17, he goes off for six catches, 119 yards. Look, I just didn't think that the... Not only did I not think that the edge rushers wouldn't be able to to necessarily own the Tampa tackles, but you know the Washington defense is great up front and a little skeptical at the back end, and and that's where they were picked apart. Really, you've got. You know, three receivers that had over 79 yards. Um, you know, it's it's. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't love the Buccaneers. Here's, in terms of just looking at like the NFC and who's going to come out of it. We didn't get to watch the Packers, but all the teams that I watched in the NFC, I wasn't really that wowed by. You know, like the Rams, they beat up on Seattle. It was a great rushing attack. Quarterback play is the big concern there. Tampa Bay, you got past Washington. It was a little ugly. It shouldn't have been that close, but it was. And then, you know, we'll talk about the Saints in just a second. But, I mean, God. The reason that I feel so confident about Green Bay, I guess, is just because we didn't get to see them play uh, uh, this past weekend. But if you had to ask me who I would pick... I would have to say Green Bay. Just not none of these three teams necessarily wowed me. Um, but uh, you know, kudos to Washington football team. I know it's seven and nine, and yeah, you're not necessarily a great team, but you're a good team with stuff to build on. I think there's a lot of exciting stuff 
um, and talk about, you know, from as low as they were last offseason and just the name change, the Dan Snyder allegations, the culture, uh, they turned it around as quickly as I think anybody could imagine, really. You know, they brought in Ron Rivera. He's been great. He's made the right decisions as a head coach, letting some of the bad culture out of Washington and making sure that it's a team that really cares about each other and plays for each other. Um, you know, making Dan Snyder as uh, small a role as possible seems to be the best way to go for him. Um, kudos to them. You know, I, I think that they uh, need a wide receiver too to open up more for our, our man over there, uh, Terry McLaurin. I think they could use some help on the back end still. Uh, Ryan Kerrigan is a pending free agent. Um, the offensive line is good, but quarterback also another situation. Uh, you got to really figure out what's going on there. Um, as you look forward to 2021. Uh, moving on to the Sunday slate. Uh, first game, Ravens taking down the Titans 20-13. to uh, Fun stat here, Baltimore is 6-0 and in road wildcard games. Um, really interesting. I didn't know that they were 5-0 and heading into the game. I feel like that definitely would have made me love my bets even more. Uh, just, to, just a recap on the bets real quick, because I know I said I got a few things right. I was on Colts plus uh, six and a half that hit. Rams plus three and a half in money line that hit. Bucks plus eight pushed. Stupid push. Stupid push. Uh, Ravens minus three I had. I had Bears plus ten, but that didn't hit. And then I had Steelers, but we'll talk about those games in just a second. So a, a pretty good day gambling. I, I would say it was fine. We went, what, three... Two and one. It's winning. It's winning. Uh, so moving on, yeah, as I was saying, the Sunday game, the Ravens and the Titans. Ravens win it 20-13. to 13. Uh, My takeaway from this game is neither team impressed me. You know, am I, am I supposed to say Baltimore putting up 20 points against the 29th ranked defense in the NFL is, is something I should be proud of and, and be like, oh, now they can go, you know, upset Buffalo and upset Kansas City. We got to start taking them more seriously. No. If anything, I'm more impressed with their off their defense. You know, I look. The name of the game was shut down Derrick Henry, and they did that. You know, he was he wasn't able to get anything going. You know, you take a look at the final numbers. It's 18 carries for 40 yards, an average of 2.2 yards per carry. My problem. Let, let me talk about the Titans first because they're eliminated. We'll talk about the Ravens. My problem with the Titans. Uh, it looked like Arthur Smith wasn't trying to get a head coaching gig. I, I've never, you know, we always talk about teams just committing to something for too long. Look, I know Derrick Henry is your best player, but at a certain point, if they've bottled him up, you got to go pass happy. You know, if Derrick Henry is averaging 2.2 yards per carry, Ryan Tannehill needs to throw the ball more than 26 times. And he was an efficient 26 times throwing. He's 18 to 26. He did have the interception at the end, but also had a touchdown. Um, I thought early on he looked great. I, it seemed like they were having success through the air. And then it just turned to first and second and long runs for Derrick Henry. And then Tannehill trying to make his own on third and, you know, medium. I really was not impressed by, by Arthur Smith. I, I feel like the best coordinators, the best play callers adapt to what the game is, is doing, you know, halftime adjustments. Everybody talks about some of the best coaches go in at halftime, they readjust, say, okay, this didn't work. Let's go out there, try something different. I, I thought the Titans 
committed to the run game for way too long. And it's no discredit to Derrick Henry. I'm not saying that, you know, he's not a talented running back, but the Ravens figured him out. They figured out how to just attack the line of scrimmage, push around the offensive line, and make sure Derrick Henry didn't slip past you. He wasn't breaking tackles. He had, a, I want to say, two, gain, two runs where he broke tackles for like 8 to 10 yard gains, but that was about it. I, I, it really puzzles me how they didn't adapt and just start throwing the ball because it, it worked early on. Now, obviously, a few things, you know, also, you know, you, you lose out on Corey Davis, um, which sucked. I had the over on his yards as a prop, and then he plays two snaps, or he had two targets all day and then sat out the rest of the game with an injury. That was ridiculous. Um, but, I mean, God, they got things going early with A.J. Brown, Ferkshire, the tight ends. It was all going well, and they just abandoned it. That that was the puzzling thing for me all, all weekend. Um, obviously, you have to acknowledge – the conservative play calling, uh, where Mike Rabel, I think he was just outside of, of, of Baltimore territory, decides to punt it on a fourth and short. Um, and then Baltimore goes on and they score on the next drive. Let me pull it up, actually, because I can see I've got each drive here. I'm trying to think. Was it this one? Yeah, it was. A five-play drive started on the Tennessee 42. Oh, so they, they did make it into Baltimore territory and then chose to punt it. Um, yeah, on a fourth and two. There's no room for that in the NFL. You know, I was I was listening to a post-game show on The Ringer, um, and I think it was Kevin Clark who brought this up, or I believe it was Kevin Clark, or maybe it was on Saturday's show, and it was Ryan Rosillo who had mentioned it. But either way, it was one of those guys. Um, and they had, they had said, you know, it's going to be hilarious when we're sitting in the year 2030, and, and we're full in on the analytics age. Every team is bought in. They've got guys up, you know, um, you know, calling the plays essentially just based on risk and all that stuff. And we're going to know that you go for it in these situations. You always do in those situations. A fourth and two on your opponent's 40-yard line, you go for it. And it's going to be crazy to look back to this era right now, this, you know, this year, going back three years, maybe even the next two years. So like that five-year span where coaches are still making the wrong decisions in these key situations. And we go, man, Tennessee could have advanced. You know, They could have made it to the divisional round. And who knows if they caught fire then just as they did the season before where it could have gone. You know, Teams are just sacrificing um, because of stuff that they aren't willing to do yet. They aren't willing to understand how important analytics are to football. And look, I'll acknowledge that the Colts way – you know, being analytically driven didn't work for him, but I would much rather go out like that than I would to go out in a kind of a cowardly way. And I know he's trusting his defense, which is hilarious because they were 29th in the NFL this season. Terrible. They were awful on defense. He's like, I'm a, I get they were having an okay day against Baltimore, but man, I just, I, I don't know. I, I There were a few things. I mean, obviously Arthur Smith... Uh, I wasn't a fan of that. I wasn't a fan of the decision on fourth and two for, for Mike Vrabel. Um, and look, if you do lose Smith, what does this team become? You really got to make some fixes on defense. I know they had a couple guys injured, but still it was bad on all three levels. The offensive line wasn't great. Their tackles are getting old. They lost Jack Conklin, which, hey, that was a big miss, you know, losing him to Cleveland. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't seem to feel like I'm going to be a big buyer of the Titans heading into next season. And on the flip side, the Ravens, just to take a look at where I project them to uh, you know, make it 
through in this rest of the postseason. Um, you know, I still don't love the passing offense. The ground game is great. You know, I, I still think that we've got a big J.K. Dobbins game coming. I wasn't sure if we were going to get it uh, in this one against Tennessee, but maybe he can dice up Buffalo and keep things close to him for a little bit. I will say I did like to see Marquise Brown get a little bit more involved. Uh, nine targets, seven catches for 109 yards. Um, I don't know. I don't know where to, what it, to really think of, of Baltimore here because they have been on fire for the last six or seven weeks ever since that Monday night Cleveland game. Um, but the level of difficulty hasn't been that much. You know, they didn't face a ton of great defenses in that stretch. Um, and then, you know, they had a, this game against Tennessee where Tennessee is really bad defensively. And uh, it was a seven-point game. You know, I said at the beginning of this breakdown, am I supposed to be impressed by Baltimore putting up 20 points against the 29th-ranked defense? I don't think so. So then when they got to go keep pace with the Buffalo team that was able to put up 27 points on the NFL's number one defense, I, I just don't see it happening. Uh, and we'll break down the games more when we get to Friday. And I'm already giving away how I feel right now. I just I don't I don't see Baltimore going in there and taking down Buffalo. I don't see it. But good for them, you know. Uh, obviously, with the rivalry with Tennessee to get on the winning end of that after losing in the regular season, for Lamar Jackson to finally get this stupid fucking narrative off his back, the dumbest fucking narrative in the world. Zero oh, and two. <laughs> he lost his first two playoff games. I, th I think Peyton Manning lost his first three. Dumbest fucking narrative. The narrative that, I, and, and people are going to counter, well, Blake, I think you've said stuff about this before. I've said the narrative with Lamar Jackson throughout his career when trailing. That's my narrative. When he's trailing big and he has to pass 55 times, then I'm a little concerned. But the playoff narrative is fucking ridiculous. I'm so glad we can shut up about that now. Middle game, ugliest game of the weekend to me. The New Orleans Saints stumble past Chicago 21-9. Um... Gotta, you know, I don't know. I watched it on Nickelodeon for a little bit. That was kind of fun, but not really. I wish it was a more exciting game. I, I don't know. What, what am I supposed to say about this? All right, we'll start with the Browns, then we'll go to the Saints because the Saints are still in and we can, you know, say peace out to, to the Bears. We can say goodbye to them. Um... This has to be the end, right? This has to be the end for Mitch Trubisky. Not to say that he was awful either. You know, he was okay, 19-29 for almost 200 yards and a touchdown. Obviously, that missed catch by, let me get his name right now that we're here, Wims. It is Wims. Now that we, you know, take into account he missed a, he would have had 50 yards and an extra touchdown if it wasn't for that awful drop. Then you're sitting at 20-30 for 250 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Not terrible, but he definitely... Uh, I definitely think that it's it's uh, it's something you have to at least you know severely consider at this point. Now I'm not sure what options are going to be available. You know the Bears are at a very interesting point where it's like how much are you going to pay to trade for a quarterback, sign a free agent? There's not a ton of great ones available. Uh, the draft, if you're picking in the low twenties. Who are you going to get there? Are you really going to just say, okay, you know, Mac Jones or whoever might... I mean, fuck, I don't even think Jones is going to be available at 20. I think quarterbacks are just going to... Everybody's going to be trading up for these quarterbacks. Uh, really what it was, they couldn't get the ground game going. 
you know, hats off to the uh, Saints front seven. Been very good all year. Held David Montgomery to 12 carries, 31 yards. Um, it amazes me. I, that's all I have to say about the Bears, right? Can I can I move on? I mean, what else am I supposed to say? This team was eight and eight. They rattled off a few wins to end the, to end the season. You know, luckily the the for them the Cardinals lost to the Rams, so they were able to make it into the postseason. Just squeak by. Um, I want to talk about the Saints. I I really don't think I've seen a a less impressive winning football team in my entire life. I really don't get it. I mean, is it the defense? Is it Taysom Hill sometimes catching people off guard, but also throwing turnovers and bad passes? Maybe it's just Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas are good, and and you know when defenses are playing in zone coverage, Drew Brees shreds them up. Let me pull up this stat for you guys real quick because this blew my fucking mind, and it, it it blows my mind that teams don't recognize this stuff and make easy, simple, stupid adjustments. Drew Brees completion percentage. When both outside cornerbacks are playing off coverage, 74.6. So if they're in a little bit of a zone, 74.6 completion percentage for Drew Brees. When both are pressed in two-man coverage, when they're playing man coverage on the outside, Drew Brees completes 57.6% of his passes. That is fucking ridiculous. Stop playing zone defense. Are you afraid Drew Brees is going to run? Play man defense. It's Drew Brees. You know, it's not like it's Lamar Jackson who's going to shred you up if you're covering man-to-man. I mean, oh my God. That is ridiculous. And so when I look at that and I think of other teams, uh, I think the Saints road would probably end no matter what team advances from Green Bay or Los Angeles because you'll lock down the corners in L.A., Man coverage, and then Green Bay, I think Jair and uh, those other guys can hold them in man coverage as well, too. But that, that is just, it blows my mind. Drew Brees throwing that football, it was the slowest fucking football I saw all weekend. And that's including Big Ben and Phil Rivers. We had a lot of bad old quarterback play this weekend. And surprisingly enough, you know, outside of Tom Brady, I, I forget that he's the oldest of them. All right, uh, we'll do this now. We'll do the, my, my old quarterback rankings from what we saw this postseason or what we saw on the field uh, this weekend. Number one, Tom Brady. He looked the best of the four. He's, he's the GOAT. He still has it. Uh, number two is Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers looked good. He had a good season. I'm so fucking sick of the narrative that he was bad this year. He had such a good season. It's just because he's got a weird throwing motion, and sometimes he turns the ball. He barely turned the ball over this season. People have this whole narrative that Phil was bad. He had been terrific this season, and he was great against Buffalo. He was outstanding. Number three. Can I really say Big Ben? I'm going to give Big Ben and, and Drew Brees a tie at three because, you know, Ben was at least thrown for a lot of yards. He had some touchdowns. He had four interceptions, which were all really bad. We'll talk about the game in just a few seconds. But Drew Brees throwing the football, I just like was watching it float through the air and seeing how, how can a defender not get there in time? It travels slower than any football I've watched. Slower than Tim Tebow, uh, you know, slower than Phil. You know, there's a, there's a ton of bad quarterbacks that have played in this league. That ball is slow. 
But the one thing that I'll give him credit to, it always goes to the perfect spot. You know, Drew Brees, he might not have the arm strength, but his accuracy is fucking spot on. He throws a pretty football. It's always into the receiver's hands. Um, moral of the story, I'm, I'm all over the place with this game. This game pissed me off. and There wasn't really a whole lot for me to take away from it. Um, I don't see this. Like, I just, I don't see it. This is another team that if they get by Tampa Bay next week, I, I don't see them getting past either Los Angeles or Green Bay. And there's this whole thing. You can't beat a team three times in the same season. We're about to find out. We're about to find out. All right, last game. Talk about the mess that was the Brown Steelers. Uh, Browns get up 28-0. They win the game 48-37. to um, Cleveland's first playoff win since 1994. Big Ben's first uh, loss to the Browns in Pittsburgh in his entire career. Um, man, you know, it, it makes me feel good about, you know, this uh, Pittsburgh talk I gave all season. Makes me feel a little validated. I think it had to be as early as week five. That I said, hey, they're barely beating bad teams. They're not that great. Okay, oh, they beat the Browns big one week. Okay, then they lose to more bad teams. Or they beat bad teams by just a, a slim margin. I'm mad that I, I didn't commit to the Browns beating Pittsburgh. I had said I, it had to have been around week 10. I had said that I don't think... Um, that I don't think... Pittsburgh would win its first playoff game no matter who it was. I, I, I backed away from that because of the Browns' COVID problems and them missing their head coach and uh, eventually three starting offensive linemen, their top two corners, um, a safety. I mean, God, it, it, they didn't practice all week. Like It, it just made zero sense. It, it looked like Pittsburgh was the one that was dealing with all these problems. And then on the flip side, Baker, he was solid 21-34, 263, and three touchdowns, no picks. The ground game... Chubb and Hunt, best duo in the league. It's got to be, you know, and they didn't even have a ton of yards. You know, Chubb had 76, Hunt had 48, but they also did a lot through the air. Chubb had 69 receiving yards, Hunt had 13. Um, you know, Jarvis had that one long touchdown grab as well, too, 92 yards and a touchdown on the day. Uh, Austin Hooper, a good tight end. Um, you know, it, it is one of those games that it just, it's, Eventually, it just gets out of hand. It's like the Super Bowl between the Broncos and the Seahawks when Peyton first got there. Same situation, you know, you fumble that first snap, it goes back for a team's other touchdown, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're being blown out in the first half, and it's it's like, okay, shit. I, I mean, we can try and come back, but are we really gonna? And what's crazy enough is they, they had, had me convinced it could get a little interesting. And then we got to talk about the, you know, uh, I guess most cowardly play. Was this more cowardly than the other one? I mean, you end the third quarter pushing into Cleveland territory. The score is 35-23. to 23. You're in Cleveland territory. And actually, I'm sorry. You are just outside. My apologies. You are just outside of Cleveland territory. You're on your 46. And it's fourth and one. And you take a delay of games so you can punt it, which turns into a touchback. And then, oh, Cleveland goes and scores on a 40-yard passing touchdown to Nick Chubb. You had all the momentum, carrying it into the fourth quarter, get Renegade playing, you take a delay a game and punt a touchback. 
That was the nail in the coffin. Not the touchdown by the Browns. Pittsburgh saying, oh, it's a it's a 12-point game. We've got all the momentum in the second half. We scored two straight touchdowns and forced three straight punts from Cleveland in the second half. Eh, we'll give it back to Cleveland. That was the nail in the coffin. It was done at that point. It just, it, 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 it's like I said with the Tennessee game. It, ten years from now, we're going to be looking back at these games going, what the fuck were these coaches thinking? How stupid were they to not just embrace this, uh, this idea? Like, I, I get it. It doesn't always work. But sometimes you have to just go down being aggressive than to go down looking like a coward. I just, I don't get it. Oh, we trust our defense. Okay. How'd that work out for you? Um, anything else I want to say about this? No, we were right about the Steelers all along. At least I was. I know a lot of people out there that, that had said that the Steelers were never a good team, so I can't say that that was me. But I did say it in, like, week five. I said, hey, they barely beat the Giants and the Broncos. Barely beat the... Did they beat up on the Bengals? Let me. Let, we're going to take a look. We're going to take a look at the schedule. They start off the season. I've talked about this so many times. They beat the Giants by 10, but Daniel Jones had a turnover in the end zone that would have made it a three-point game. So they barely beat the Giants. Then they barely beat the Broncos by five points. Jeff Driscoll, third-string quarterback, marching down to try and win it. Week three, barely beat the Texans. We know how their season went. Week four, barely beat the Eagles. We know how their season went. You know, they did have wins over, you know, impressive win over the Browns in week five. They did beat the Titans and the Ravens in weeks uh, six and seven, but then... You beat the Cowboys by five. We know how that season went. Now, of course, you get a little bit later on. You know, the Washington beats them, Buffalo beats them, Cincinnati beats them. Uh, the Browns beat them to finish off the season, ignoring that the Colts lost to them in week 16. But whatever. Um, they were never a good team. I hope that next time around that this happens, because it's happened two years in a row now. It happened with the New England Patriots, and I learned then. I learned. Because I didn't believe it. I wasn't buying into it. I said, the Patriots, I trust Bill, I trust Bill uh, Brady, and they lose. I learned my mistake. That's why this time around I said, okay, the Steelers, this is the Patriots of last year. They're just beating up on bad teams, and they're barely beating some of these bad teams. Then, of course, it falls apart. They lose in the first round. So hopefully, next year, when a team is beating up on the AFC East or the NFC East, or they're just beating up on bad teams because they have a favorable schedule... Let's not buy into the hype. Uh, so that's all I have to say about the Steelers. They obviously have a very interesting offseason coming up. I think they're at negative $50 million in cap space. Obviously, Big Ben is due $41.5 million next year, so that's a big decision. They've got key free agents, Bud Dupree, a few other guys on there as well too. So um, they're going to have to figure some shit out. And then for Cleveland, uh, look, it was fun. You got your win. Sorry, you have to play Kansas City. <laughs> I I mean I don't I don't see this being a similar situation where it's the nobody believes in us and they just go and you know jump out to a twenty eight to nothing lead over over Kansas City. I just I, I don't see that happening. Um, but good for Cleveland. Good for the city of Cleveland uh, to to finally get into the postseason, to finally have a winning season, to finally feel good about the direction of this franchise for the first time in 30 years, that's got to feel amazing. 
it's got to feel great. So hats off to you. I don't, I don't see it working out next week, but uh, we'll get to that later in the week. I, I've basically given you my 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 game winners already, um, but we'll we'll dive into the games more. We'll do more of a breakdown later in the week. Uh, we'll also be back in the middle of this week. Like I said, I'm not sure if we're going to get Jack on to talk about the Seahawks this week or next week. I really do need to spend some time talking about Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans. Um, that might be my midweek podcast. Uh, of course, if any other big news comes out in the next few days, any key retirements from these old quarterbacks, we'll talk about that as well, too. Um, and then later in the week, like I said, we will do uh, you know, my picks against the spread and my breakdowns for the divisional round, uh, those four playoff games. It's going to be a fun weekend. I wish we had more football games. I was on the phone with my, my, my dad, and we were talking about uh, just how much of a bummer it becomes when the season's over. And, you know, fortunately for me, I've gotten into the off season a lot where I really enjoy free agency. I really enjoy the draft, um, where really it, it doesn't really have much of an impact on me until we get to May, June, and July. Those are the three months that I get really bummed out about football because there's just that's kind of the dead period. You're getting the OTAs and the camps and – you know, you're working your way up to the preseason, but there's not a whole lot going on. So um, I'm able to enjoy nine months of football, but, you know, I've only got a few weeks left. So definitely a bummer. Uh, but thank you guys so much for listening again uh, to this podcast today. Make sure to go over and head over to YouTube, iTunes, or YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you uh, listen to this podcast. Make sure to leave me a five-star review, um, share it with your friends. Tell me what you like about it. If you want to come on and, and shoot the shit about something, let me know as well, too. Uh, make sure to follow me over on Twitter at BlakeAndrewPace for all my sports stuff. Um, this is being recorded before the national title game, so I'm going to put out a pick. Uh, I am going to say Ohio, or sorry, I'm going to say Alabama wins this one. I want to say pretty easily. I'm going to say pretty easily. I'm say, I'll say they cover the nine and a half point spread, uh, win by double digits. I just think Justin Fields is, is really banged up. Um, and I think the Ohio State secondary is not ready for Devonta Smith and, and those receivers there. So give me Bama. Give me Bama minus 9.5 and, and give me the over of 74.5. Or you, you think I'm going to root for under 75 points? I want all the points in the world. So enjoy. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll catch you later in the week. Peace. Peace.